Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Today I'm excited because we're going to be talking with Marlo Wilson. She's an executive director at a nonprofit, and we're going to talk about the challenges working in the world of nonprofits and the emotional ties we have to the work that we do. While that can be great, it can also sometimes make really common work issues feel way more significant. She's offering some advice, and she's speaking about being a Black woman in leadership, which, spoiler alert, is really hard. Let's talk to Marla. I'm so excited to talk to you today, and I've been kind of like referencing to other folks that I was talking to someone that I I have given you the title of nonprofit queen. Um, oh. <laughs> so I'll okay. be like, guys, I'm talking to this nonprofit queen tomorrow. <laughs> I've been like, that's-, that's so 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 sweet. You know, I'll I'll wear the crown. That, no, that's fine. We should wear our crowns, right, when they right. are handed to us. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Okay, let's start off. Briefly, just tell our audience like a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I did not start my career in nonprofit, but I quickly entered that world. And I think everyone actually has the same story when it comes to their nonprofit or their entry into the nonprofit sector. But I mean, more importantly, I'll tell you about myself. It's funny because I was raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, and most people say people grow up in Las Vegas, and that's what they once said. And I was like, they they absolutely do, and I'm one of those people. But I was not um, born there. I was actually born in Chicago, or right outside of Chicago, okay. um, because my father was playing professional football. He was in a training camp, but we were living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is where my mother is from, and my father played college ball originally. And so, so we moved around a little bit when I was younger. And so we settled in Las Vegas and that's where I actually grew up. Mm-hmm. And so after which I moved, I would say quite a bit mm-hmm. after I left Nevada, I never moved back or lived there only to visit is when I returned. And I spent, you know, the rest of my college time in Oklahoma. That's when my career just kind of took off after graduating and lived there, Atlanta, Miami, 
and uh, here in Charlotte now, um, North Carolina. All that time, I was working and building my career and raising my children and taking care of my parents and you know, doing all of these things and doing quite well professionally, which is astounding because there was so many, you know, balls that I was juggling. But we as women are um, truly incredible humans because we do way more than we give ourselves credit for. But, you know, we're built and designed to do so. So (laughs) I have and enjoyed my career in nonprofit. I was actually um, working for IBM I had a friend that was a close friend at the time who said, you should be working in nonprofit. And of course I was like, I did not go to college to work in nonprofit, you know, cause I just really did not, you know, have a um, true understanding. I was the dictionary definition of ignorant to what the nonprofit sector really had to offer. Right after that, someone called and um, asked me to interview for a position. I was like, sure. And I was getting really tired and stressed at IBM. And so I, I did so. And then, you know, it's about 15 years later, um, I've worked for a number of organizations, fundraising and sophisticating process, et cetera. But it has been the most rewarding work that I could have ever anticipated that I would do because you help so many people and you don't realize it. But when you sit back and you kind of do an inventory, Um, I believe that I've helped probably about 300 girls go to college, um, really make a pivotal decision about their future and education and how they see themselves as contributing positive citizens and creating awareness around heart disease and stroke during my time at the American Heart Association, really honing in on you know, those underrepresented communities who are indeed affected the most when it comes to disease and, you know, opportunities or lack thereof and, you know, inequitable placement of food and living in food deserts and et cetera. So just really focusing in on, you know, those underrepresented communities and making sure that I do everything I can to provide equitable opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. The work is never done, right? And so I have quickly transitioned into some other, you know, some other work and I, you know, maintained a consulting service, which started with um, helping celebrities and or athletes, if you will, develop their nonprofit organizations and their philanthropic brand. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. So I, okay, so many things to say. So I work in nonprofits as well. So I have, it carries a special place in my heart for the impactful work we get to do, but also how the culture differs or is the same to a lot of corporate cultures. When people talk about their corporate situations, I just think there's so many other layers wrapped up in nonprofits that make the maintenance of that culture more important. And I kind of see it as, you know, I we're all in the business of helping people, perhaps public servants in a way. Okay, maybe that's a little much, but I mean, I think so. I think, I mean, there's a bigger mission and we're a part of the team to support it. Um, And so when you feel like you're not being treated well at work or you're having challenges, I feel like it hits a little differently than it would if you worked at some big corporation because of the deep and vulnerable and personal work you're doing. Have you found that the case in your experience? It has been absolutely my experience. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, we are indeed public servants, um, you know, again, and when you're working in nonprofit, you're wearing many hats. I think you would agree. And so mm-hmm. no matter what my title has been over the years, 
I have still emptied the trash can coming in and turning on the lights and, you know, (laughs) um, you know, shut down offices, you know, wiping down desks, but in the middle of that raising money and, you know, creating process and, you know, developing board, um, or board development and, you know, um, you know, helping board members identify opportunities. Like, you know, we're just so, you know, there's just this holistic approach to the work. And I think that is what um, is the value proposition of someone who works in nonprofit. There are so many things you can do and you learn um, so much about the business and business in general, right? Um, Because Mm -hmm. you have um, to a degree humbled yourself to um, take everything in and there's really no room for elitist attitudes uh, when you're working in that sector, Mm. because, you know, you are, you're just wired to serve in a capacity that a lot of people um, are not privy to. And I say it's a privilege um, because it's, you know, it can be a very humbling experience. And then also too, um, but a very rewarding one because you can see the manifestation of your work right away in the communities that you mm-hmm. serve. And so um, I always say I serve at the pleasure of, or, you know, the board or, you know, the community or the people or what have you, mm-hmm. because that's true. And I think that that for me has been the most um, satisfying thing about my career is really always being connected to a mission, but also to not, not developing some ridiculous ego, you know, in the process. Right. So, yeah. But I do agree with you. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it just seems to be a little, it, everything feels personal. And I know in other jobs and, you know, you hear from other people there, it's easier to compartmentalize for them. And I found, and as I've talked to, you know, different people in nonprofits, it seems to be a theme. Everything feels really personal and it should be. It's like that helps us do our work, you know, the best way we can, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, you're super connected. Right. And so, so much so that, you know, that's why a lot of times when I'm talking to, whether it be my colleagues or, you know, someone that I have the pleasure to mentor, et cetera, that, you know, um, in this work, you're not only chosen, but you choose the people in which you work with because it is such a passion related effort, you know, and we spend a lot of our time in it. And so with that being said, it's a relationship. It's just like you would choose someone or something in any relationship. It's, you know, I always say, don't wait to be chosen. Like, you know, they'll call you and you get the interview and, you know, you're like, oh, I want the job. I hope they choose me. And I'm like, no, you've got to change the narrative on that. And I've said Mm -hmm. that, you know, when talking with people, even donors, I'm like, well, I, you choose me, but I choose you too. Right. Because it's such a deep effort that we all take when we're working, you know, um, from a nonprofit's perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like, I love that approach. And I think everyone, no matter what field you work in, should be approaching their career, their job like that. Like, it's a mutual decision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no matter, yeah, right. No matter what it is, yeah. Yeah. And if we continue to think about it like that, you know, the next time we're interviewing, I'm sure we'll ask different questions and figure out, does this job actually meet my needs? you know, not just meeting there. So I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, um, just to kind of add to that, I mean, we're, we're all reading and seeing, you know, the great migration, right? I just put my like air quotes up 
um, you know, amongst professionals who are making that decision. So I know the corporate world is shaken when, you know, you read in the stories that 4 million people have quit their jobs consecutively over, you know, a couple of months, I think it is. I remember the first report was August Mm -hmm. where they said, you know, oh my, you know, 4 million people in America have quit their jobs and they've decided that they're not going to do X, you know, things that don't serve them and make them happy anymore. And I was really excited to hear about that just simply because there's so many people who are miserable in their positions and they are really hostage or, you know, to, okay, I have to earn a living, but I hate this. And so, you sacrifice living your life for earning a living, right? Mm-hmm. But again, people are finally just the light bulbs coming on and saying, you know, I I get a right to choose and you know what working relationship I want to be in, and I and we started out like that, right? Um, saying that with that perspective, how much happier would people have been all along? Yeah, I'm excited for folks. I, every time somebody says they quit their job, I say congratulations, right? <laughs> <laughs> Worthy of a card and flowers and a nice dinner. I mean, it's a big uh-huh. deal, especially when you don't, a lot of people are doing it without any backup. So it's it's incredibly brave, particularly in the time we're in where things are just getting more expensive and more difficult. But to put your mental health first um, uh-huh. and, and your passions and your dreams first is like really cool. <laughs> and I think a lot of us aren't necessarily there yet either. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's cool. It's it's something to celebrate. I mean, it's people actually standing up for themselves in a lot of ways. Um, and that is, you know, from a mental perspective, um, so healthy. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about working, particularly in nonprofits, but I would, I would even say generally as a black woman in leadership positions, because this is really hard for folks. It, it makes them nervous. Okay, it causes a lot of tension. <laughs> um, and everybody I've ever known has said it. They they feel like it's a, a, a bigger task for them than maybe their white or, or brown colleague uh, would have in that situation. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> it's hard for folks. And I... Particularly being a black woman, not a black man, not any other type of woman, you know, not any other type of man. It's black women are really hard for folks to digest. We are. We are. Um, we are in this world, right? Um, very hard um, for people to digest, but particularly in leadership. Um, mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes, you know, when I'm having a conversation uh, funny story. I was talking to someone just on yesterday um, about, you know, they were asking me about my leadership style and, you know, how do I, um, you know, deal with and process change and, you know, how people ask you these ambiguous questions like, so can yeah. you tell me about the time when, you know, you had a really difficult project you were working on? I'm like, no, I can't because I data dump, you know, I move on. But let me reach deep. You know, these are the things that I want to say out loud. And I'm getting closer and closer to this point in my life in doing so. But, yeah. you know, um, it's real. It's funny because as much as the playing field is not leveled, people just approach you as if it is, right? So, you know, you ask me a question that ordinarily would make sense to maybe my white counterpart but it has nothing to do with my black experience in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I just really 
you know, so it always gives me an opportunity to say, well, change it. I'm fine with change because I'm accustomed to it because you all make all the rules anyway. And so, I mean, we have to, we have to program ourselves for change. I mean, like, you know, on a daily basis, but, you know, from a, from a leadership standpoint, um, you know, for many years, it's been lonely being the only sister in the room um, amongst people who don't look like me and don't think like me. And I mm-hmm. say think mm-hmm. like me because it's not about your educational background, but it's about your cultural experience, right? And right. trying to bring that into a conversation with multiple groups of people who either don't get it or don't want to get it, you know, becomes very challenging. And so you hear the term code switching and, you know, it's always been, you know, deemed a negative Um, And in some cases it can be, so I won't negate that. But I also feel like the most brilliant people have the ability to do so, right? Because it's a survival skill. Right. You have to survive um, many situations in order to create a pathway and illuminate a pathway for other people to come through. I always kind of um, consult and or advise people of that because when you start to feel like, okay, am I doing, am I compromising myself? And You know, you don't look at it as compromise, but it's a sacrifice for other people. Because a lot of times, and I tell people this all the time, a lot of things that are happening to you are not even about you. Sometimes you're just (laughs) a person, right? I mean, like literally 95% of the time, things that you're going through are not about you. And, you know, when you think about it like that, sometimes you're just being used so that you, because you can sustain, you know, some of those hypothetical punches, um, if you will. I think at being a black woman in leadership, whether it be nonprofit, corporate um, sector or government sector, you know, it's, it's usual to be the, you know, the odd person out, you know, you're in the room with no one who looks like you. And if there is someone who looks like you, I mean, you know, there's very few um, people. And then you find that, and I know people are not going like this, but it is the truth and I tell it, but you will find even your brown, you know, so-called brown counterparts or those from the Hispanic diaspora don't even identify with you in those rooms. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in many rooms with Hispanic females who take the George Floyd incident, for example, reached out and said, oh, I can't imagine what you're going through, but know that me and my family are praying for you and your family during this difficult time. And I pause to say, what do you mean you don't know what I'm going through? You know, so again, I mean, it's just a testament to how we as Black women continue to be alienated in a way where people who absolutely can't identify with us choose not to because they have an option right? They have an option to play the non-Black card in situations like that, but then, you know, sometimes want to have solidarity when it's a us against them um, situation. So we're, I, I feel like we're in a constant position to be ultimately betrayed, where we have to, you know, do our work, guard ourselves, you know, worry about who we can and cannot trust or who will and will not align with us and 
you know, be our allies and advocate for us, et cetera. And so we are forced to do a lot of that ourselves and it can be extremely taxing, right? Right. And so, you know, I encourage Black women in leadership to give themselves a break, you know, from time to time, because we're doing a lot. We're doing the most, but we're doing it for a very good reason, right? Yeah. But I will also say, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, Black women in leadership, man, they have such an incredible opportunity to make a difference because we're usually working with our community. From a cultural standpoint, we understand it, we get it, and that's where we are the most advantageous and the biggest asset to an organization. Wow. Okay. I feel so validated right now in my feelings and experiences. So I I thank you for particularly using the word lonely. That is the perfect word. And I don't think I associated that word with the feelings that I have felt in the past, just isolation and and wanting somebody to get it and wanting somebody even for a second to speak my language or care enough to you know, speak up if something's not right or like, you know, right. do their part in maybe making my my life that day easier because, you know, there's a lot on the table and, and, and folks are acting up, like just waiting for that and waiting for nothing because it doesn't come. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people listening feel that way and it's really hard to express because anytime we're putting emotions into work folks have trouble with that it's work you know it shouldn't be full of emotions and all these different experiences and like life-changing just go to work come home like it's it's just not like that for so many folks particularly folks who look like us and then you add the nonprofit aspect on top of it where we are literally just trying to take care of other people but nobody's trying to take care of us so where do we go with that? That's so true. You, that is so true. I, I honestly um, totally agree with you on that because, you know, it is a, in a lot of cases, it's a quote unquote churn and burn environment. Like, let me just get as much as I can out of this person until they just, you know, until they crack, they break, they leave, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, I have seen some significant advancements from that standpoint with, you know, certain organizations, but in other um, in other ways, nothing has changed, right? You know, maybe the people have changed in their perspective on how they, you know, um, engage with their work, knowing that it is that churn and burn um, environment, but it's you know it's just unfortunate for us as Black women um, in leadership or otherwise that man we just we balance so much. Um, I remember when my twins um, were smaller, and I mean I was working at the same pace that I even work now, and probably even you know uh, a faster pace. But I just remember, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just so <laughs> tired um, because, you know, you're, you know, you got a kid that might have asthma and you got to give that, that, that kid breathing treatments. Um, you know, you've got to leave the office and go to the school or daycare and give a breathing treatment because, you know, the nurse says, oh, we can't do that. I mean, you know, we just deal with so many variables, but having to turn that switch completely off as soon as you walk through the doors at work and, you know, throw mm-hmm. on a different hat and be like this ultimate business professional because, you know, every day, right, 
it's like um, Hunger Games. You got to go in there and prove yourself. And oh my God, every day. It's uh, <laughs> every day. It's not just like Monday and Thursday. It's like every day you walk in there. Soon as you put your foot over the threshold, it is seriously Hunger Games. And so I just think about my, you know, my other um, Black female colleagues even from a global perspective of just one, I mean, the beauty of being able to do that, but then also two, the strength that is required for you to turn that switch on and off um, and be multiple people to so you know many different people every day. This big wave, it's always been there in undercurrent, but this big wave of mental health and taking care of yourself and self-care and um, you know, taking a moment and, you know, tapping into therapy because it's okay to do so and finding your peace, you know, in situations like I'm so excited about this movement because I don't think mm-hmm. never before have we paid attention to who we are um, as an individual like we do now in this, you know, in this time. And I'm very, now that's what I'm very excited about because I think the manifestation of us making that investment in ourselves is going to make us, and I mean us as Black women, better professionals, better mothers, you know, better sisters or daughters, you know, um, all the way around because we have identified that it's okay to selfishly take care of ourselves when we are feeling depleted. It is okay. Yep. Yeah. I think somebody needed to hear that today, I bet. I hope somebody so, needed that. Because I did too. <laughs> Yes. Like, you know, listening to you share, and I'm not even a person who has hit like senior leadership level. (laughs) It makes you think, well, I don't know if I have something to look forward to (laughs) or be nervous about, you know, because things are changing. Like you said, that different conversations are happening. We're seeking therapy. We're, um, you know, making uh, different decisions in the workplace. And hopefully other folks who aren't us are getting better education around um, collaboration and communication in the workplace that it could look different in a few years. I'm not actually not sure, Um, but it is a little intimidating, but okay. So I guess here's the next thing I'm wondering now. So you are the boss now, right? So you've gone through all those different hardships. You're at the point in your career where you are the one making decisions. You are creating the culture. You're in charge of maintaining it. You're wearing so many hats at this point. You could be, I'm, I'm imagining, right? Talking about an HR matter one second, having a, an outside conversation about getting funding for something else. How do you balance all of your roles as a leader, as an executive, while still making sure that you understand the culture that is happening around you and with the people you're working with? Oh, that's a great question, Joy. And, you know, I will say, be very introspective, if you will, about what your leadership style is and how you want to show up in this workspace um, and in the community. And they could be two different things, but, you know, my, my recommendation is, you know, be consistent. Like I lead as a partner, right? So I don't think that Mm. I have ever called myself anyone's boss, um, just because that just feels like a very (laughs) misogynistic. (laughs) It's very antiquated, but it still is a term used somehow. Yeah, I don't identify, yeah. I don't, I literally don't identify with that. Whenever someone's used, like, like 
um, who's your boss? I don't have one of those, um, you know, because I don't identify with that. You know, we're in partnership. And so even if you report to me, you are still my partner. And so I think that that is the common thread mm-hmm. amongst the relationships that I build in the professional space. And yeah. But I will say to you, um, you know, be excited about leadership because one, you have identified that you have done the work and that is your, that is your career path. That is your desire. That's the mark that you want to place, right? Your, 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 you know, your footprint, if you will, on this canvas. And so anything that you do is going to come with its challenges, right? But I will tell you one thing I would prefer to be making decisions as opposed to having decisions handed down to me. So, um, you know, I embrace leadership because it's going to come with this set of challenges, but let me tell you for you, you know, advancing into some of those, um, executive leadership roles and even senior leadership, you, I mean, you're going to be fantastic. You know, you're Mm -hmm. charting your territory and you're identifying, um, resources and knowledge that you can put in your personal toolkit. I mean, the brilliance that you will exude in that room is very exciting, right? And then not only that, you're building a proper support system of other professionals to lean into when you're feeling vulnerable or you're, you know, not understanding the climate or the, um, you know, in the room, right? So that's what we don't do. Sometimes we go into ourselves like, okay, what do I do now? Because I can't believe they just said this or whatever. Right. That's when you call a friend and say, you know, girl, because this is how I talk to my friends, girl. And that's like G-U-R-R-R-R-R-L. <laughs> Let and me tell you what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me just, you, and, and, you, know, you start off, right? Because you're courteous. You're like, do you got a minute? I mean, like right. five, because I got to get back in here. And I mean, I'll be in a bathroom or, you know, some <laughs> off, you know, closing off this door. Girl, let me tell you what these folks did today. I'm, you know, and we just have that dialogue. And then you come out swinging, right? Because you just need that that moment for that really good friend or colleague or, you know, mentor, whoever it is or how you, however you identify them to say to you, okay, take a beat because, what you're not going to do is swing on them, right? You know, it's like you got to have that real talk to kind of get in your soul so you can go back because these people will try to take your life in these mm-hmm. in these boardrooms and in these, you know, these meeting rooms. Um, and so you just got to make sure that you have that support system. But that does, you know, that, but that identifies further what your brilliance is because then you're practicing healthy conflict resolution skills so that you can yeah. get to where you need to be. This has made me excited about, you know, my own future and hopefully people listening. Um, thank you so much. Woo. This episode really spoke to my soul and I hope that it helped you or taught you something too. What other people do you want to hear from? What industries do you want to know about? Let us know by leaving a comment on the Work Stories Instagram or of course you can always reach out to us at workstories21 at gmail.com. Take care. Have a good week. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 